I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Good morning, church. It is Palm Sunday. It's a little-known fact about me, but I, while I do love Palm Sunday and everything that comes along with it, with Holy Week, all that we're going to go through this next week, while all of that is true and I, I love that, I don't have the best personal kind of relationship when it comes to palm trees. You see, about nine years ago, my family and I were renting a house down on Gulf Beach Highway, just down the street from the church here in Pensacola, and, and in the front yard of that house, we had two large, I think they were sable palm trees. Now, those of you who are familiar with, with these long, large fan palms know that every year, uh, towards the end of the year, the, the lowest branches of the palm tree, they die off, they turn brown, they bend down towards the ground, and they form this, this huge, ugly brown nest of branches below the tree. Well, me being a good tenant and wanting to keep up my house's curb appeal, I decided that it was time to take care of pruning those palm trees. I noticed the, the neighbors across the street had some folks in their yard that were doing some landscaping and taking care of their trees, and I, I went over to them and I said, hey, uh, how much would it cost to have you come over and prune my trees? They came over, looked at the trees for a minute, and then gave me a quote on how much it would cost. And, and while I don't remember the amount that they said it would be, um, I, I have what, these, what my daughters call these cheap jeans. I, I'm, I'm kind of frugal. I don't like spending money unnecessarily. And, and whatever the amount of money it was that they wanted to prune the trees, I decided that that amount was more than I wanted to spend and that I could do this job myself. So I did what any good renter, tenant, homeowner would do. I, I went over to my garage. I grabbed my longest, tallest ladder. I grabbed my reciprocating saw. I grabbed a, a long blade for it, some gloves, some eye protection, and I climbed up onto the trees to start pruning them. The, the first tree went, went fine, no problems at all. In fact, I'd climb up the ladder. I'd cut the branches that I could see that I had a good perspective of, and then I would rotate the, the ladder around the trunk, cut a few more, rotate the ladder around the trunk, and, and so forth until I had pruned the whole tree. Now, it worked well. The tree looked great, but it took a lot longer than I really expected, expected it to do. So on the second tree, I thought I'd change the game a little bit. I, I started by putting the ladder up against the trunk of the tree, and I climbed up, and I pruned all the branches that I could see. And when I had done that, I then moved to the rest of the branches. But I didn't move the ladder. What I did is I just reached around, and even though I didn't have a good perspective of what I was looking at, I was just able to cut those branches, and, and it worked for a time, but eventually it backfired, and I learned an important lesson about the anatomy of a palm tree. You see, these palm trees, um, if you're familiar with them, on the palm, they've got a large uh, kind of palm section and then a, a long stem, and along that long stem, they, they're lined with large, razor-sharp, shark-tooth-like barbs. And as I was cutting this tree, what I wasn't seeing, my perspective was bad, was that as I cut, the palms would fall, but they would swing towards the saw and towards me as they came. And on what turned out to be the last of the palm branches that I cut that day, as I cut it, it swung down towards me and then fell and hooked my left ear and hung there like a giant 
palm tree earring from my left ear. I reached up, I grabbed the palm tree, I had to literally lift it off of my ear, throw it to the ground, and I saw that my hand and glove was completely covered with blood. I realized that Tama was going to have to take me to the ER, and eight stitches later, I learned two very important things. First, I don't like palm trees. I still don't. I don't like palm trees. And second, I learned that perspective matters. How I looked up at those branches, or in this case, failed to look up at those branches, mattered. How we see things in life matters. And today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, I'm hoping that we can celebrate it with a clear perspective of just what happened 2,000 years ago. So if you've got your Bibles with you in your rooms today, in your living rooms or on your porch, wherever you're watching this, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, would you open them up to Matthew chapter 21? And we're going to look at this text that's known as Jesus's triumphal entry. Hear the word of the Lord as he wrote Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, To the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey." On a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Can we pray? Father God, as we open up your word today and we examine this story, this account of how you, Lord Jesus, came into Jerusalem the week that you were going to be betrayed, the week that you were going to lay down your life for us. As we look at this word today, would you speak to us? Would you give us a clear perspective of who you are and why you came to earth? Would you give us a fresh word that will help us to live out this week and this season as we celebrate the sacrifice that you made for us? Encourage us as we follow you today, as we look at your word. Speak a a word to each of us, including me, as we examine your text. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we look at this text today, I, I know that for a lot of us, this is a familiar passage. After all, it's a significant moment in the life of Jesus and, and in his ministry that's covered by all four Gospels. Our reading today came from John chapter 12, but it's also recorded in Mark chapter 11 and in Luke 19. This is known in all four Gospels as Jesus' triumphal entry, but in addition to all of that, 
Nearly every Christian church across the planet today will be looking at this account on Palm Sunday, just as we do every single year. So for many of us, this is a familiar text. But what if it wasn't? What if, what if we came to this part of our Bibles with fresh eyes? What if for, for just a moment we were able to suspend our familiarity with the text and we were able to just come to this and, and look closely at what is happening here? Because there's something going on in our text today. There's something going on that Jesus was doing that I think many of us have all too quickly glossed over. And I think the, the key to understanding this to understanding what's going on in the text is, is to look at the question that the people of the city of Jerusalem asked at the very end of this passage as Jesus was entering the city. They asked, who is this? Who is this? Jesus' approach and entry into the city of Jerusalem at Passover had, had caused a commotion. He had made a scene. It caused the people to, to ask questions and say, who is this? And as we look at this text today, I, I want to show you three different perspectives of the man who entered Jerusalem 2,000 years ago this week. The first perspective I want you to see is that of the citizens of Jerusalem. Jesus came to the city and we read in verse 10 that when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? That word that we see in English, uh, uh, stirred up, is the Greek word seo. It, it literally means shaken. There was such a clamor, such a ruckus when Jesus arrived at the city that it was like the city had been hit by an earthquake. You see, to, to many in the city, Jesus was a stranger. His arrival had captured the attention of the city and it had led them to ask who this person was. They didn't know who he was. They hadn't heard about him. There was a commotion and, and they were drawn to see what's going on. And we, we've all been there before, right? We've all experienced this. Maybe it's when you're driving down the road and up ahead you see the lights and the sirens and it, it draws your attention and you start doing that whole rubbernecker thing where you're looking over your shoulder as you drive past. Maybe it's, it's the kids on the other side of the house making a, a, a fuss and you're like, what's going on? And it, it grabs your attention. This week for me, it was my, my chickens, my, my bar backyard barbecue. I looked out the door and I saw that it had been left open. So I went outside to, to see why it, or to close it and make sure it was, wasn't open. And, and I heard a noise that's become very familiar at our house. I, I heard our chickens cackling. We've got 16 of them and it wasn't just one or two. It's the sound they make when they lay an egg. It was all 16, including the rooster. And it grabbed my attention so much that I walked barefoot through the pasture over to the, the chicken coop to see. I was expecting to see a predator or something in there. I, I still don't know what caused them to make that, that big ruckus. But when there's a commotion, it grabs our attention. And that's what was going on here in the city of Jerusalem. That's what was going on with these citizens. There was a commotion around Jesus and they were drawn to see what was going on, but they didn't know who Jesus was and they didn't know why he had come. And as we celebrate Palm Sunday today, I think that there are many of us around, many people around us, maybe, maybe you're watching this today and, and you would fit this camp. 
You, you've heard of who Jesus is maybe a little bit, or you hear us talking about Palm Sunday and Easter, and, or some friend has shared this video on Facebook, and you're, you're seeing it, and you're asking, who is this? What's this all about? You've been so caught up in the midst of the uncertainty and the turmoil that surrounds all of this COVID-19 pandemic, and somehow that's brought you here today, and you're asking the question, who is this? It's a good question to ask, and we'll answer it in a minute. But for now, as we're looking at this text, I want you to recognize that that as we see these three perspectives of Jesus, the first perspective is Jesus, the stranger. Today, just as in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, there are a lot of people for whom Jesus is a stranger And Jesus came to Jerusalem for those people, for the strangers. But there's a second perspective we need to see. As Jesus prepared to enter the city, he wasn't alone. In fact, there was a crowd of people with him. Actually, there were two crowds. There there was a crowd that was ahead of him, and there was a crowd that was behind him. In fact, Matthew says in verses 8 and 9 that most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And my curious nature as I look at this text, as I think about this, is is to ask, well, who, who was in the crowds? Who was that? Earlier in the gospel, in in chapter 20, we can read how the crowd began with Jesus' 12 close disciples. But as Jesus headed towards Jerusalem, it grew. Jesus performed miracles along the way, and, and Galileans would gather to him, and they started following him because they'd come to believe that he was a powerful prophet. In essence, what we're seeing here is a large gathering of people who had witnessed Jesus' miracles. They had heard his teaching, and they were now seeing that Jesus was this important, powerful prophet that they needed to follow. That's who made up the crowd that followed Jesus. The other crowd, the one that was ahead of him, many scholars believe that that was made up of people from the city who had heard of him. It was made up of people who knew who Jesus was, and and so they were coming out of the city to to go and meet him as he arrived. And we don't have to really speculate about who the crowds thought that Jesus was. Their, Their words and their actions actually speak volumes. In verse 11, Matthew tells us that the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. For them, Jesus is a powerful prophet. And now they're accompanying him to Jerusalem. When when Matthew says in verse 8 that most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, he's describing acts of homage and and honor and respect. Now, as we read in our Bible reading today from, from John, John's gospel tells us that the branches that they laid on the road were palm branches, which had become a kind of a, a nationalist symbol for Israel. So so what we're seeing here is that the crowds are working to make a triumphant um, red carpet of sorts. They're, They're making a carpet for this triumphant leader to enter the city. The New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg noted that the whole picture conveys celebration and honor. 
reminiscent of the victory parades with, with which triumphant kings and generals of the Old Testament and intertestamental periods were welcomed into the city. But it's not just the crowd's actions that tell us what they thought of Jesus. Their words speak volumes because they're not just idle words. They, they actually give us an even more clear picture of who they think that Jesus is and why he was coming to the city. You see Matthew chapter 9, uh, or chapter, verse 9 in chapter 21 here tells us that they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna literally means save now. It's a plea for help. It's a plea for rescue. And when it was combined with the title Son of David, which is a direct reference to the Davidic monarchy, what we're seeing here is clearly a messianic cry. This is the one that they expect to come and establish a new kingdom in Israel. These crowds were deliberately also quoting Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. That psalm says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. That, that psalm is a Hallel psalm. That word Hallel comes from the word Hallelujah. It's a song of praise. It's a song of prayer that was traditionally sung by the Jewish people at Passover. But here they're taking that psalm that they sing every year at Passover and they're applying it to Jesus. They're saying this is about Jesus. These, these two crowds, the, these two crowds of people, they're, they're people who've seen his miracles, they've heard his teachings, they've, they've recognized there's something special about Jesus. And they're thinking maybe, just maybe, this is the promised prophet king. They're, they're seeing this miracle worker and they're thinking that this is the one who is going to come and set them free. For, for the crowd, he was more than just a, a prophet he was a king who had come to restore Israel. He was the king who would repel their Roman occupiers. He was the one who was going to fix all their problems. He was going to repel their oppressors. He was going to restore the dignity and the grandeur of Israel. He would reestablish the United Kingdom. That's who the crowd saw coming to Jerusalem that day. They saw Jesus, the prophet king. And if I can be just perfectly blunt with you today as we look at this and we see how the crowd looked at Jesus I, th I think there's a lot of us who see Jesus that way we see Jesus the wise teacher we see Jesus the the problem solver he's the one who tells us how to live a good life he he's the one who came to fix all of our problems he he came to make us healthy or to bless us I think that's how we've come to see him we see Jesus the teacher, Jesus the problem solver. And what we completely miss is the fact that all of his teaching, all of his miracles, everything that he said and did was meant to show us who he really was and why he had really come. That's the second perspective. But the third perspective is, I think, the best perspective. I'm really glad that we get a third perspective because the third perspective of Jesus in this passage is Jesus himself. You see, as we approach this text, one, the one thing we need to recognize is the oddity of what Jesus did. 
Jesus knew who he was and he knew why he had come. And and that knowledge drove why he came to town the way that he did. Matthew tells us in verses 1 through 3 that when they came near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you anything, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Jesus is preparing to make a statement as he comes into Jerusalem. That's what he's doing here. The simple fact of the matter is that nearly everybody came to Jerusalem for Passover on foot. In in fact, the Jewish customs of the day seem to, to point us to the fact that it was a requirement for them to come on foot. Travelers had to walk to Jerusalem for Passover. But Jesus, for the last few miles of a journey that he'd made entirely on foot up until that point, chose to ride on a donkey. With all the crowds coming into the city for Passover, Jesus could have slipped in without drawing attention. That's not what he does. Jesus chose to send a message with how he arrived. Among a crowd of pilgrims who were all walking on foot, Jesus would have stood out. He would have been noticed by everybody if he was riding on a donkey. And that is the point. The crowds that came before him and behind him were expecting an earthly Messiah, a prophet, a king to cast off their Roman oppressors. And that's not who Jesus is. That's not why Jesus came. He wanted to show them that. So verses 6 and 7, they they tell us what happened. They tell us that the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Jesus is telling the crowd, and he's telling the city who he really is. He's the Messiah, yes, but, but not like they think. He's a king, yes, but, but not a king that's coming to cast off their Roman overlords. He's a king that's riding on a donkey. That, that's not an image that they were expecting to see. Victorious warrior kings rode on proud, majestic war horses. Jesus is on a donkey. The symbolism of what he's doing is important here. The donkey was an animal of a man of peace. It would have been used by a priest or a merchant or maybe an eminent citizen, but never, never a warrior king. And in verses 4 and 5, Matthew tells us why Jesus rode on a donkey. He says this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The prophet Matthew is referring to here is most likely a combination of two prophecies concerning this long-awaited Messiah. One is from Zechariah, the other is from Isaiah. Specifically, this appears to be a blending of Isaiah 62.11 and Zechariah 9.9. Isaiah 62.11 says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. 
And then Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. These two prophecies, they're both pointing to the Messiah who would rescue Israel. And these two prophecies were both accomplished by Jesus. That's the point of what Jesus is doing here. That's what Jesus' actions are saying. They're saying, that's me. For centuries, you've been waiting here. I am your salvation that's come. I am the king who has been, you've been waiting for, but my kingdom is greater than you thought. The crowds were looking for a temporal king. The crowds were looking for an earthly king, a warrior king, a king who would restore Israel on the world stage. But Jesus isn't that kind of king. Jesus is a humble king. He's a king of peace. He's a king who's come to restore all mankind to their creator. He's an eternal king. That's the perspective that Jesus wanted both crowds and the citizens of Jerusalem to have. He was a king who came to be known, which is why he didn't sneak into the city. He wanted those who, who didn't know who he was to ask, who is this? And he wanted those around him to know the true reason why they, he had come. And the true reason can be found in the very next verse of Zechariah chapter 9. Verse 9 was fulfilled by Jesus as he came into Jerusalem. But then in verse 10, what we read is what's going to happen in the week ahead. Look at the text again with me here. It'll be on your screen. Zechariah chapter 9, starting at verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's a picture of Jesus. He's righteous. He has salvation. He's humble. Arriving to Jerusalem on the animal of peace. But then look with me on to verse 10, where it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. That's a further picture of the end of the destruction that is caused by our sin. The king of peace is coming to cut off the instruments of war, chariots, war horses, battle bows. And then the prophet continues, and, and this is where it gets so good, because he says, And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to bring peace to Israel. And that word peace there that we're seeing here in Zechariah, it's the Hebrew word shalom. It, it's a powerful, unique kind of peace. It, it's not the absence of hostility, but an uninterrupted, undisturbed peace in all its fullness, in every aspect of life. It's the perfect peace of God. It's the peace that had been lost because of our sin against God. And Jesus had come to bring that peace back between man and God. But, but it wasn't just peace for Israel. It was a peace for all the nations, for all people. 
He, he came to Jerusalem to bring peace that would spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's the perspective of who Jesus is that was coming into Jerusalem that we need to have today. He's the humble, eternal king who came to set us free. So today, as, as we consider these three perspectives, I, I want to ask you a hard question. And really what I want you to de- do is I want you to think about this and then ask yourself, how do you see Jesus? What is your perspective of Jesus? Do you see him like the citizens of Jerusalem saw him? Is he Jesus the stranger? Or or do you see him like the crowds that were traveling with him saw him? Jesus, the prophet king. Jesus, the wise teacher. Jesus, the cosmic vending machine who comes simply to bless you if you'll just place your faith in him. Or do you see him as he presented himself, as he entered Jerusalem? Jesus, the eternal savior. Perspective matters. And and the beauty of what we're looking at today is that when Jesus entered Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, he understood that. He wanted to change our perspectives because he knew that perspectives matter. He wanted the crowds who were asking, who is this, to know who he was. He wanted the crowds that were shouting Hosanna to know the real reason why he had come. And Jesus wants the same thing for us today. If you don't have the right perspective of who Jesus is, whether you're in the who is this camp or or the crowd who saw his miracles camp today, I want you to know who Jesus is. Jesus is the promised Messiah He's the one toward whom the whole Bible is pointing. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is God who put on flesh. He he is the one who humbled himself to become like us in every way but was without sin. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve to die because of our sin against our God on Calvary. He died that death for us. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day, he rose in victory over sin and death. And if we will repent of our sin and place our faith in him as our Lord and Savior, he will reconcile us to God and give us eternal peace, peace that lasts forever. Shalom. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. He's the king of peace. Jesus was not the warrior king that they expected. He was the eternal king that they and we needed. As Jesus entered the city, the the crowds were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And while they didn't fully grasp the picture of who it was that they were shouting to, and they didn't fully understand the meaning of what they were asking, They weren't wrong. They spoke better than they knew. Because Jesus is the only one to whom we actually can cry, Hosanna, save us. Because he's the only one who actually can save us. And when we have the right perspective, we're able to cry, Hosanna in the highest too. 
That's the perspective that we need to have this Palm Sunday. And throughout the coming week, as we celebrate our Savior and our Lord, Jesus, our eternal King, who came to reconcile us to God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day and for this ability to gather together through internet means, through live stream, through all of this, we're able to gather together and worship you together. We thank you that 2,000 years ago this week, you put on flesh and you walked into Jerusalem to proclaim, I'm the king that you need. Lord God, I ask that you would do a work in us throughout this week. I ask that if there is somebody here who hasn't come to know you the way that you presented yourself as the Lord of all creation, as the one who's come to reconcile us to God, to experience that forever shalom, that forever peace, that today would be the day where they would come to repent of their sin and accept Jesus as their Lord. God, we ask that you would do a work in our lives. Help us to live in your peace in this difficult season knowing that in you we have all we need. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen.